Philosophy. Descartes. Debate. The Map Report. Map Report. Map Report. The awesomest discussion podcast in the history of the human species. Oh, yeah! Let me tell you of an interview with an old man emu. He's got a beak and feathers and things, but the poor old feather ain't got no wings. Aren't you jealous of the wedge-tailed eagle? Well, the eagle's flying round and round to keep my two feet firmly on the ground. Now, I can't fly, but I'm telling you, I could run the pants of a kangaroo. But He can't fly, but I'm telling you, he can run the pants of a kangaroo. All right, in that case, welcome <laughs> to Ooh. Member 159, uh, May 30th, 2019. We are ready to go. Um, it's funny because I'm, I'm actually, I've been listening to some of the old ones, uh, old MEP reports, and uh, so although the- well, I mean, you know, like like vintage, right? That's the actual like vintage. Um, and I've been uh, sort of looking at the vintage stuff, and I was looking at um, I was listening. I wasn't looking at anything. I was listening to that <laughs> point. I was listening to our TeamSpeak quality, which was not nearly as good as what we have now. But we have to save bandwidth, and for various reasons, we don't have our video cameras on right now. So I'm just looking at names. So I feel like in 2019, we've advanced to the point where I can now speak to you by looking at your names. And when you speak, your name highlights on my Zoom call. So it's like, it's like the word Russ is speaking to me and the word story is speaking to me. So I feel like we've made some serious advancements technologically, but it didn't really help very much. It's the height of 2019 technology. In the olden days, when we used TeamSpeak, there would be a little icon that would pop up next to your name when you were speaking. And right. now we have a green box. That's, all, right. <laughs> okay, <laughs> just, that's what I meant. I was like, I that's how we've made advances. Or Dr. Laser Falcon, and now it's yes. actual name. Yeah, we've grown up with video game handles. You're right, yeah, and now it's exactly. just people. Yeah. Eventually, it's just going to be like it's going to be like you know, like eventually everyone's like Gregory Wilson Esquire. Like this is going to be like titles and like you know, current home. I was actually talking to a guy, um, our former neighbor, who was just moving out of uh, the place next to us because they bought a house down the street. And he was talking about how it's the first house he's ever owned. And he's like, yeah, he's like, you know, it was a big step for us. And, you know, we're really excited about it. He's like, and I feel like, you know, I've really tried to start talking to the neighbors because it just struck me how permanent this all is. You know, like, I mean, yeah, I guess we could sell the house. But before when we rented, I could just be like, ah, whatever, my neighbors, you know, we, we could, we're, we're renting for now. But I mean, we could be out tomorrow. You don't know. But now it's like, I'm a homeowner. And so I was commenting about how like, well, you should just use that on a regular basis. Like I, blah, 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 homeowner should blah, 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 as a homeowner, as someone who owns a home, you know, you should just emphasize the permanence of it. So I feel like titles, you know, we've talked about titles in the show before. I feel like that's, that's kind of what we're heading to. We're heading to full names and eventually we'll just add, you know, initials and titles and, and, degrees onto it. When Story gets his MFA, it'll be Story Clayton MFA, you know. Shoot right? me if I go by that regularly. <laughs> Just, Just shoot me right in the face. Story Clayton. Don't comma. ask questions. Masters like, of fine arts. Start the, the time that that's like in my email signature, just like, just hire a guy. Yeah. You know, technically, I could call myself Russ Guberman, B-A-B-A-B-A. Like uh, I was a B.A. Baracus or something. Like, like you were a sheep? <laughs> <laughs> Russell Guberman. Bah, bah, bah. <laughs> <laughs> he 
you imagine? That's what people are like. I don't know why you want to. He always wants to bat like a sheep. Yeah. I don't know what the like. No, it's my degree. No, but, a bachelor's of science on top of it. Then it's. I like, thought you were gonna oh, go oh, with oh, the doctor yes. of divinity. I that's what I thought he was gonna. Oh yeah, that's all. Yeah, gonna be like that's doctor. Yeah, I could oh. go bad, bad, bad doctor, doctor, yeah. doctor Russ Gooberman, bad, bad, bad. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I don't. Yeah, it's, it's definitely true that titles can come across, come across in a very pretentious way. Um, but when I'm trying to get something through customer service, you better believe I pull out the doctor. Oh Hell yeah, a hundred percent. You know, like if I, if I need something along those lines. But yeah, especially if I'm going in, if I'm like on Twitter or something, there's a couple of people I follow that are like blah blah blah, comma PhD, and I'm like, you know, you kind of don't need to. I mean. Also, so if you're so we're a bunch of other people. You should have to say food. Food. <laughs> Gregory Wilson, food. That's true. Well, I could be, if, you're, if we're going to do everything phonetic, then it'd just be Gregory Wilson, food maba. Food maba. You know, do you, do you know that I was uh, at the University of Connecticut? I got my degree, of course, in English education, was my undergraduate degree. And typically, they call that a Bachelor of Science. But I was like, why? I'm like, I, I think of teaching as, as an art, not a science. And so I went and I talked to the guy about it. He's like, look, this is traditionally how it's done. I'm like, yeah, but here's all these arts degrees. I qualify for either one. He's like, well, yeah, but then that would mean that you'd be, you know, the only one who was there. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, but I, I prefer to be a Bachelor of Arts. He's like, but this is really not, it's not going to make a big difference. I'm like, so it should be fine if you do it, right? And so he just stared at me. So in the actual book, they have, you know, School of Ed people and they have all the graduates. And then of all bachelor of science and then bachelor of arts me and i'm like yeah so i was the only own i was the only bachelor yeah. of arts that got an english education degree in uh, 1994 from the university of connecticut otherwise i would have been i would have been a a food ma bus which would have sucked right like yeah. a food is clearly better than a food bus like that yeah, the last food bus i talked to didn't know anything about what he was talking about yeah, that's what he, exactly. I'm pretty sure that was a character in the Harry Potter. Yeah, <laughs> mighty foot. He was a house not elf, a, right? Not a foot. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, um, what I thought you were going to say before the titles uh, tangent was that, like, legitimately being a homeowner changes who you are. I mean, this is this is the reason that people go from being liberal in their young years to conservative in their older years. It, I think, you know, I think sure, just I as found that myself. Oh. Yeah. Well, look, as, as much as, you know, life experience changes you, but having a vested interest in the status quo because you own things and you don't want the things that you own to be threatened, right. um, I think the main is a major reason that people become generally conservative. That's true. I mean, more of a stake in the world as it is. But it's weird, though, because we always say that if you are sort of a member of a community, if you value community, then communities we always think of which are which have a sort of greater permanence to them communities are a good thing right like liberals are usually behind the idea of community for a variety of reasons because you know they they connect us together because they promote empathy because it you know creates activism and action and whatever so you know we like the idea of uh community and yet that's got more permanence to it. But with the homeowning, when you add in the permanence, maybe, you know, I'm sure that you guys would say it's just, it's the ownership is the thing, right? It's just well, the no, what you, I, you what own I think something is, and that's the it's problem. It's not just the ownership. I think, so it's interesting that you cited community because I think of homeownership as specifically anti-communal, right? That, because I agree with you that it's about community, but the, what's significant about a homeownership situation is that you are living privately 
on your own and you're only responsible for yourself, right? And people leverage it all the time to try to like make other people in their community with homeowners associations and whatnot right, like, right. do things in their interest. But the justification that's always thrown around is like property values or we paid this or we did this. Yeah, yeah. So the way, and it may be different in other societies, but in America, I think it's very, and maybe, you know, maybe it's universal to the, to, to the situation, but it's a very individualized experience. And so it's like where people take refuge from community in the way that it operates. And so I don't think people psychologically see it as a communalizing thing, even though it could have that potential. That's so you're saying, you're saying that homeownership is fundamentally libertarian, uh, living in a co-op is fundamentally socialist, sure. and being a renter is like uh, a serfdom. Yeah, it's like the working class. Yeah, exactly. It's just like, you know. <laughs> So, catch can. But what, but what if yeah. you own? But what if you own a commune that people rent in? Then you're a communist, obviously. But like oh. you own it, though. I think so. you're the dictator. You are the. Then, dictator. then you're Hugo Chavez <laughs> by yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You're the. You're the failed idea of like I will be the steward for the people. Oh crap. Oh God. <laughs> oh, this didn't work again. It is, but it is true. It's like one of those things, like, I think the problem is when people whip out the title to use it in sort of obviously irritating circumstances, like it's, if I, I was re referring to it as like, it's sort of when you institute the in accordance with the prophecy joke, you know, you put in every sentence, blah, 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 in accordance with the prophecy. It's like, there are people who do that with like, da, 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 as a homeowner. You know, and there's a certain right. point where I'm like, there is no reason that you're being a homeowner should have word one to do with like your vote on the education budget. Like, you know, like, like as a homeowner, I, I don't think it's, we should have this, this, uh, you know, I don't know if we should have this grocery store here. I'm like, um, as, as, it's like, as a Unitarian Universalist, I think that the Red Sox are a good team. Like these have nothing to do with anything. Like what, what is this? <laughs> like, I mean, <laughs> like I just, I could come up with other titles. Like as a six foot three male, I believe that, um, Hondas are excellent cars. Like what, what are we doing? I don't understand the well, need. It, for it's a similar adage to the, like, I'm a taxpayer. It's the thing when you want, yeah. you know, these organizations to, to conform to your bidding then you go, I pay, I pay your salary with my taxes, which, you know, even if you pay zero taxes, you pay taxes kind of, you know what I mean? Like right. if you fill out forms, you're part of the process and or you if you buy something. gas, you know, in the air. Yeah. 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 Sales I mean, like, like, sales it doesn't take much. As a sales <laughs> taxpayer, like, I mean, because right. Yeah, like, or as a toll payer, as a toll, as a, as a toll payer, I you know, I it. smoke two packs a day, and as the syntax, <laughs> I feel like these laws are. <laughs> oh my That's god! That's exactly it. It's it's oh, so obnoxious. Like nowhere else do we get away with this this stuff. And I, I agree with you. Like that's that we should do that more though. Like it should totally be like as a um, I don't know. I'm trying to think of like as an improv expert. You should just use that, but in non-important conduct. As, a, as an improv expert, I think that I have every right to take this scooter um, at yeah. odd hours through as, the wilds of LA. As an improv expert, I can tell you that it's uh, righty, tidy, lefty, Lucy. <laughs> You're right. Exactly. Exactly. As a MEPCoin holder, I believe <laughs> could indeed be raised. <laughs> as a, no, that's too close to it. As a MEPCoin oh, yeah, holder, you need to make sure that's that you get the omelet out of the pan faster right. than you're doing. Like, it has to be yeah. something completely non sequitur, you know? Yeah. Like, I don't know. But it, it, is, it is like people sort of pulling out titles. Well, do you get, well, wait, though. But I will say, like, there are, uh, there are circumstances where I think 
I mean, I was proud of when I got my doctorate, I worked like hell for it. And so I was very proud of it. And I definitely, you know, wanted students when students in my classes, I definitely, you know, I don't say refer to me as this, but when I sign my emails, I say Dr. Wilson, whatever. And I, I do that because it's sort of, across the back of the face. Yeah, exactly. The and then I say, as a homeowner, you will listen to me. No, I don't, I don't do that. No, you know, like, but I do that. And like, but I certainly don't do that with my colleagues because we all have doctorates. And if we, even if we don't, we're all colleagues, like doctor. whatever, right? Doctor. Like, I'm not going to be like, doctor. as doctor yeah exactly doctor 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 doctor. yeah like that's the thing i don't want to i'm not going to do that with colleagues or with people like who are in my field of endeavor but like where a doctor wouldn't make sense like i'm not i'm not going to pull that out in those circumstances um and that's the thing where people seem to pull it out under circumstances where it doesn't matter like you know we're sitting down at a concert and i'm like well yes as a as a doctor i appreciate the classical music we're about to hear i'm like well what like i don't so I don't know. It's when you choose to use the title, I think, that says more about you. It's driven by anxiety, right? People feel like they need to whip out the title. And for customer service, you should do that. But when you're not dealing with that, just, what, you know. What is the, the etymology of title? Does it literally, did it originally mean that you were actually given, like, you, like land, for instance, like land and title? Does it mean sure. that the fact that you have a title mean that you own land? Is that what that title meant? Like an earl? connotes that you own lands, right? Isn't that what that means? Yes, and that you had a certain, um, correct, and you had a certain connection with the crown, so there was a certain royal responsibility, and uh, that you were of right the owner of that, you know, space and of that title, that position. Like, Um, I get that the modern usage of entitled means that you feel empowered or you have the right to do something, but I think the the, the historical meaning of entitled means that somehow you're, right, you're bound to right. something, whether that's the crown or what. Right. Like right. And I mean, like, and they, they, I was watching, uh, I've been uh, really wa- having a lot of fun watching the uh, John Adams miniseries, which I think is like the HBO miniseries from a few years ago because it's now free on yeah. Amazon Prime. Speaking of old MEP reports, my oh. God, that's, that series is from 10, 12 years it ago. It was, yeah. It was back in like 2008 or whatever. Yeah. Paul Giamatti was like, it was funny because I remember being like, we've having this discussion about how I didn't like Sideways and I didn't think, you know, but Paul Giamatti and John Adams was, was awesome. Uh, like anyway. it or not, it totally launched his acting career to the point where he had the status to do things like, to do things like that. He's everything really good for the past too. 15 years. Oh yeah. man, he was so good. But anyway, um, yeah. and the guy who played George Washington is like the living in car. I mean, you just are like, wow, that's George Washington. Like I think you just imagine that would be the exact way George Washington would be. Like he just really that, nailed the sort of that actor. Uh, I don't know his name, but Norse. I picture him. Norse, uh, I think. I feel like he's, you know, like the fifth billing in every major action movie for the last 25 years. Like yeah. he's always there as a, as a rough and tumble kind of police detective who's not as important as, you know, Sylvester Stallone or something, but he's always there. Yeah. Around. There's a lot of actors like that in that series. The, um, the guy who plays Benjamin Franklin randomly was the mob boss, uh, Falcone in Batman Begins. Oh, Batman. And, mm-hmm. and I saw him, I'm like, Benjamin Franklin looks familiar. And I'm like, oh my God, it's the mob boss from Batman Begins. It's just like a random. He was also in Eternal Sunshine as yep. the, uh, the yep. doctor yep. who raised people's minds. Yep. Just, just really random. Anyway, um, but, um, 
uh, yeah, but so so there's this one uh, part of it where John Adams was insisting upon that they needed to come up with a better title for the president instead of just Mr. President. So they had all these things like Mr. President, His Highness, His Excellency of the Isles, his like, and all these like incredibly elaborate. And he basically gets made fun of, and they just are like, no, we're just going to keep it as Mr. President. But his argument was, if if America is going to step on the world stage, it needs to have respect, and these titles actually command respect because. You know, America was looked at as just this bunch of bumpkins and, you know, a bunch of like backwater hicks or whatever that just happened to win a lucky war against the British. And so he thought the titles really made a difference. So I don't know. It was, it's just interesting to me that that's where like, as a homeowner, I blah, 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 blah. I don't know. It's kind of, is there, is there a title that when you hear that either of you, when you hear the title, you're like, well, damn, like, is there any title like that that fits? Or is it just you wait to find out what the person is like? Like, because there's no, isn't, isn't it His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, for example? It is His I thought you were going to say the Pope, but it's both, yeah. It is both, right? <laughs> yeah. So if you I hear... think my gut reaction to title is revulsion. I think I, my, my immediate response as an iconoclastic anti-authoritarian is I probably don't believe in this person. And yeah. like, it, it's something, it definitely like puts someone, if they lead with the title, it puts them behind the eight ball. You're yeah. like, you're, you're behind and, you know, I'm looking at you skeptically and you can dig out like, and maybe even dig out pretty quickly because they're, you know, they're pretty common. especially. Now. He's like, because I'm the Dalai Lama. Yeah, <laughs> you're like, all right, like, you're out. Like, yeah, but you're definitely not, you're not winning points. With me. You're, you're kind of, you're showing your, you're showing your uh, pettiness, I think. Yeah. I agree guy. with that. Um, I, I think I read this, maybe, it's some Malcolm Gladwell book, maybe Outliers, maybe another one, um, where he, he was making uh, these points about how different cultures uh, revere authority differently because mm -hmm. he was writing about, he was basically writing a chapter about, um, I don't know whether it was Air Korea, there was some airline that Yeah, had, this is Outliers. Yeah, mm -hmm. it had this awful, awful crash record and a lot of it ultimately could be attributed to the like uh, ancient system of respect. Among oh, you've talked to us about this. Like the co-pilot wouldn't tell the pilot, like you're about right. to hit the mountain, sir. <laughs> right. Dangerous. They're like, isn't the majesty of the mountain beautiful? <laughs> isn't it very proximate and beautiful? And the captain's like, as a homeowner, I think right. it's okay for me to hit this mountain <laughs> this time. Like, so there's a little tiny ancillary part of that chapter where he talks mm -hmm. about like sort of various nationalities and whether they revere authority or not. Yeah. Um, and he mentioned in passing, maybe half a sentence that Austrians typically hate authority and, and which is what I am, or at least in part is what I am, which my grandfather was. Um, and so I've always felt that way. And through him that like, the, the Austrians are like this fantastically talented people who are constantly like degrading themselves in front of others because they don't want to seem haughty and they don't want to seem impressive, but they're just kind of like, it's whatever it is. Yes, I jumped over that the 10 foot bar. It's fine. It's, it's windy, you know. Uh, and then like if you're a monarch in that kind of country, you have to be very self-effacing and you can't kind of uh, just wield your power however you want. Because well, what if you call yourself the humble though? <laughs> That's the perfect title. There you go. As as the humble owner, no, um, mm -hmm. like, but that's and there there are things where you got that thing. Like one of the things where someone I, I always find it a little weird when people talk about um, having accomplished something amazing and you know people respond with "Wow, that was amazing," and they're like, "Well, I'm really humbled by your response," and I'm always a little bit like, "You're humbled." 
by the response of how you just did something amazing. Like what you, you know, like there's something a little like I'm, I'm sort of, I'm humbled by your recognition of my awesome. I'm exactly. (laughs) I don't really like, I'm, I'm, I don't like, or they, but that's what you just made me think of it. Like, is it because that you're like, I'm humble. So don't think I'm being arrogant because I'm, you know, my grandparents were Austrian. Like there's gotta be something that makes that. Well, I say that what? I I said, this is the humility you were looking for. Right. Yeah. Like (laughs) Jedi mind trick. It's like, I am humble. I'm just so humble. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. But there's there's probably, I would imagine, and this is going to get a little down the rabbit hole, but it's not like we've ever done that before, um, where the more humble that you sort of emphasize, obviously, if you say you're being humble, there's a point where you're clearly not being humble, right? Like if you're constantly referring to your own humility. So there's a point where it, there almost becomes a kind of like, you can sort of fetishize uh, self effacement to such a degree that you end up basically kind of calling attention to the fact that you really feel incredibly proud of what you've done and you don't want to acknowledge it. Right. Like it's almost like you, that's why you have to keep saying like, I am really not, I'm so thankful to all of you for acknowledging what isn't really a big deal at all, except to me right now, you're just describing Facebook for the most part. (laughs) Like, the virtue signaling culture that we live in where everyone's like, my life is so great. Humble brag. Hashtag just another Tuesday living the life. You know, it's just like constant. Well, but that, I mean, humble Maybe brag, more in LA literally. than elsewhere. I was just going to say, you live in LA, my friend. <laughs> yeah. LA, I was gonna say. It's all LA. Like, I don't know. I mean, that is definitely the meme, but the meme about Facebook is coming from Hollywood where I think it's true. Yes. But, I'm you know, sorry that I live in the decrepit cultural center of our fading republic. I that... mean, you know, we all got to live somewhere. <laughs> got to live somewhere. Yeah, yeah. What, what uh, is even... No, hum- I mean, I would know what you're talking about, Greg, but I'm just so humble that I don't... Yeah, I don't even want to acknowledge <laughs> that I know it. I know. You're, you're, you're very quick-witted, but you don't know acknowledge it. You're kind of like, I sort of already knew your joke, but I... Pre- well, right. well, like, for example, what the, what is humble... What exactly... How does humble brag exist? What is that? That can't... That, that's just a zero, right? That's a void. How could, You cannot literally well, no, humble brag. I think it's... It's not possible. So what I read humble brag is, is it is... And it is very much in what Russ is saying about the, like, you know, the meme of Facebook culture, which is not my experience with Facebook, but... It's others. So like, He's always got to defend Facebook in the I West. Do. Half I know. Exactly. As a Facebook <laughs> owner. Yeah, I, uh, exactly. But as but, a page but, owner. I'm as a page owner. <laughs> well, the idea, as near as I can tell, the idea of humble brag is basically, is almost acknowledging the point that you're making with a kind of wink, right? It's saying like, well, there is no humility, really. So I'm just bragging, but like it's uncouth to brag and say you're bragging. Right. If I throw a humble in front of it, right? Then like you can't be too mad. Why are you mad, bro? See that exactly. See, and there's a certain point where you're just like, that this is really the the reason for the fading republic. I've decided just now. The reason is because we have just honestly gone way overboard. We're too ironic for our own good. So no one has any idea anymore what we actually mean for real. So we're like, we're like this statement and you're like, really? or yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> 
and and now we will sing a song 90% of which has nothing to do with irony yeah. um and do, yeah. but no like you know like honestly th- how many times do people say something and you're like no and then you you're like do you mean that as a statement they're like maybe wink on twitch it's kappa right like you can put anything there and then if you put the kappa emote which is just this black and white you know I have to look this Oh, you don't know. Oh my God. Yeah. Kappa is the word. So Kappa is this low res, um, black and white image of this guy doing this kind of smug smile who used to work at Twitch. I put it in Google images and I just got a bunch of people wearing track suits. So I don't think that's right. (laughs) No, no, no. K-A-P-P-A. If you do do K-A-P-P-A in Twitch, you will see that that come up all over the place. And so the way that it basically what it's become is a way to um, radically alter everything said before it in such a way that you can't really tell if people mean it anymore. So they can be like, you know, and that's why it's it's important to recognize that, uh, you know, everyone that's on this channel really, you know, sucks the big one. And you're like, Kappa. So then you're like, how could you, oh, so you, you're saying, you're saying that people would say that, but you wouldn't, and you're making fun of people that would say that, or you're saying that everyone needs to take a few steps back, or you you just... So according went- to Know Your Meme, which it's basically what you just said, Kappa is a graphic emoticon commonly used by trolls as a postscript to a sentence to convey sarcasm on the live streaming video platform Twitch. Yes. I would say that's true. Although I would say that, you know, since everyone in the world uses it, I would say that trolls are, that's a pretty... Everyone is a troll. Is I was going to say, are we all As a troll, troll <laughs> I... Uh, Isn't that the conclusion of this conversation? As a troll owner. Yeah. No, but I mean, yes. like, yeah. So that's, that's the thing. And, you know, and the thing is it becomes, it's almost like the smiley face emoticon was for a while where you, it's very hard to, because it just feels like it softens everything. So you say something like, ah, too strong, Kappa. You know, and they're like, oh, too much Kappa. And you're like, uh. so then there's less emphasis on saying it right the first time, you know. Um, well, it's this hedge that like, the hedge that almost everyone uses with everything these days in the way that they speak, be it online or in person, is like having the, I was just joking in the background, right? right? Like, right. which is at its worst, like actually just a form of bullying where it's like, see how far you can push the envelope. Completely. But then always go back to, oh, I was just joking. Why are you mad? Don't you have a sense of humor? Blah, blah, blah. blah. Which puts it back on the victim. Yep. Oh, right. Yeah. Oh, so, which is garbage. But like, 100%. it's just an extension of, of that as I see it. And I think in some places it speaks to a real anxiety about, you know, like what, can be said, but yep. But I think mostly it's just an excuse. Um, as of 2014, this is not new data, but uh, the emote is used 900,000 times per day. Yeah, it's it's wow. gone up like that. Well, also, I just can't even fathom it's that. It's a whole bunch of, like, there's, there's a bunch of channel-specific Kappas. There are variations like Kipo, which is the exact same one, except that it has, uh, like, cat ears, and um, they're They've got like what looks like a long cigarette holder in their mouth. Don't ask me. Um, I don't know. Um, and they have like versions like that. And some people have taken to using that as their default thing where they're like, no, I don't use Kappa. I use Kipo. That's a Kipo user. I, like they use, they use something different, you know, in an attempt to, I don't know, make themselves seem more clever. So basically what you're saying is that language is dead and we are going <laughs> to live in a world of pictograms in the 24th. Eventually. It's just, it's a blunt instrument. It's, it's, that's the problem. The, it's this instrument that everybody uses for so many different things. And usually you can tell the sort of quality of a Twitch chat 
by how many of those things get fired out at a time. Like, you know, using them on occasion is totally fine. Then you go to like the uh, All Games Done Quick channel, which is a um, charity to benefit, uh, I think, cancer research of some kind that raises like literally, you know, hundreds of thousands and I think millions actually now is I think they've almost got to the point where they start raising a million dollars every event that they do, which is amazing. But their chat is a toxic cesspool. It is the worst of the internet. It is the best like goals that they have for the charity. And the chat is a cesspool. And one of the ways you can tell, even if you had no idea and you just landed from Mars, you fire up the channel and you just see the number of kappas and emotes and like just, you know, it, it's like looking at five-year-olds kind of yell at each other in real time. It uh, sounds like somebody's, uh, somebody's English lit graduate thesis is like looking at the, uh, the kappa to chat quality ratio of uh, Twitch channels, yeah. like yeah. doing a breakdown of that. I think that would be, I think that would be very useful. They're going to get to the point where they're going to do some of that stuff. I mean, Twitch uh, has given how much bandwidth and everything else that it uses. There's no question that it can, that it can do that. But so, so speaking, so go ahead story. No, I was just going to say, this reminds me of like weird Twitter also, which is an, a phenomenon that like I occasionally read think pieces about, but I have no idea. I mean, tw my Twitter is everybody else's Facebook. Like Twitter just seems like it's just nothing but like garbage on garbage on garbage. <laughs> like racists screaming at each other about not being racist enough. And like, you know, everybody talking past each other and like calling people out and whatever. So I don't understand Twitter, but like, there's this whole weird Twitter thing which seems very much of a piece with this world where it's like everything is, I mean, that's kind of meme culture gone like totally amok, right? Like memes, you know, even memes that I understand sometimes play off of this, but it's this just like everything is a self-referential, super ironic twist on something edgy yes. and then made more ironic into the point where it's like you have all like hypothetical other worlds that people have been developing and riffing on for ages and then you're referencing them and interacting with them. Yep. You don't ever really know what the like moral content or quality or character of any of these things is, but it's just like, it's just all about like, do you get the joke or not? So. Yep. Yeah. It's true. We, well, I think we've had this discussion, like at a certain point, like we're not going to have foundational things that led to anything, you know, like we will have no idea what every reference is to, you know, like there was well, a. If that were true, like my Google search would look different than your Google search, but we still have that university. It it does, story. Your Google search does look different That's than Greg's. It's filter filter bubbles, man. Yes, yeah, you you hurt you missed the kappa. The joke, kappa. The kappa. <laughs> <laughs> See. See, I made Julian upset. Oh no. Oh god. Oh no. He's like, how could you say that story? How could you say that? I'm humble enough to use this kappa. I'm humble enough. When I grow up, I can't get objective search results. As a kappa user, as a kappa user, I am just, yeah, no, it's, it's right. No, I know. No, that was honestly, I think, I think in history, you know, I mean, if there's a planet to come back to, whatever, but. Like, you know, if, if this era gets recorded well historically, I think that the, the individualization of Google results is, like, is a serious tipping point in the, like, you know, self-otherization of our culture. Because um, it is. It's, like, it's the idea that there should be universal touchstones of anything is discarded. Um, yeah. You know, and, like, I'm all for discarding what have traditionally been our universal touchstones but I'm not ready to give up on the notion 
of universal touchdown. Well, I agree. Not, not only, I mean, obviously we've had the, the filter bubble discussion before and right. about all the ill effects and how it polarizes people and uh, radicalizes people and all that stuff. But I mean, there's even, um, God, I think Doug Rushkoff in one of his many books about digital culture made this argument that even transitioning to have all of our books be digitized and be online means that if something, you know, this problem, this example may not have happened yet, but let's say people find something in Huck Finn particularly object, uh, objectionable. Oh yeah. Then they can go in and they can edit live edit everyone's digital copy of Huck Finn. Ooh, and, that's scary. And, and then history was just changed forever and there's no physical forever copy of it. To, to that's just straight Orwell. I mean, yeah. that's straight. But uh, like, yeah. Small examples of that have happened where they've made edits and then um, Kindle, you know, just rolls out the edit to everyone's books that are already in their readers and the books all change. Right. And they get, they get hammered on it because there's enough people who have that collective memory, but how long will that, you know, will that continue? Yeah. I mean, uh, that is, that is sort of a deep concern, although it's interesting that in that regard, um, you know, Bradbury in the end of Fahrenheit 451, um, and that's a book which has, you know, some serious issues about its predictions. But I, I think one thing that's interesting is the idea that at some level, human knowledge and memory is going to be important for, and is sort of, and communal memory is going to be important for sort of acting as a check on that. So it doesn't just become uh, based on whatever everyone's particular version says that's digital. Like technically the Library of Congress, I believe still has this regulation that you're required to have a physical copy of every book um, mm-hmm. that exists in the Library of Congress. And I don't, I don't know that that counts for things like ebooks and stuff like that. I would guess not. But it would be interesting if when the ebook you know, gets done and gets uploaded through Amazon or whatever, if those large providers were required to do you know, essentially like a print-on-demand, something like that, where that stuff could be kept in somewhat permanent storage at a place like that, just, just in case, you know, just so that we have our own library of alexandria like a seed library <laughs> yeah in a way i mean yeah. yeah in a way you know because they they were i was reading an article about libraries and about how university libraries are in trouble and a little bit of this is kind of overwrought because they're you know they're sort of like you know students are using libraries different and it's an, it, to me it's always a little bit of a variation on why millennials ruin everything and i'm kind of right. like um, we're, we're i think we're all over that nonsensical idea as Side note, as Generation X continues to get lost while the boomers and the millennials yell at each other. But anyway, um, you know, millennials clearly did not bring an end to the existence. And I'm tired of all the advertisements. Not yet. (laughs) We're working on it. (laughs) Uh, You're working on it. But no, like, um, and uh, so they were saying that, like, you know, the the headline is basically millennials or, you know, the university libraries are going way down in terms of actual books being taken out. But then you look and you see that actual use of library space on the university level has increased substantially and um, access of online records and archives is way up and archival access, um, you know, so, so special collections and things like that, that is all way up too. So in a way, it's almost as if people are increasingly interested in going back to the primary sources, which frankly is something which needs to happen much more often anyway. You know, because for a long time on the academic level, basically we have all been responding to 
three, four, five, ten levels removed of original material. And the point of the new critics in the 1960s was, you know, the hell with that. Like, let's go back to actually read the text. And, you know, forget about what Samuel Johnson, the stupidest critic of all time that everyone thinks is smart, that's just me, um, you know, thinks said in like hundreds <laughs> about blah, 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 blah. You know, that's not like, let's go to the actual text. And then the new historians responded to that or whatever. But the point is that, that in a way, if we are starting to find people going back to the primary sources, that is not a bad thing to me. And so that has been actually I just think, increasing. I just think the, scale, the scale doesn't bear it out. I mean, the, the number of people who are going to get their information from Wikipedia versus the number of people who are going to put their name on a list um, in their local university library to go look at, you know, one of the Dead Sea Scrolls is a pretty big ratio. I guess, but I mean, like, part of that is, I mean, I don't know, though, it's not going to keep up as a percentage, but it will in absolute numbers. I mean, so, you know, we have billions and billions of people on the planet. If you still have millions accessing archives, and that number is going up, I, I would say that that's fine, right? Like, I don't think it needs to be, if it were true that the population, 25% of the population, you know, in the world used to access archives, and now it's only 10%, um, but in raw numbers, that still means that, you know, 700 million people are still accessing archives or whatever the case may be. Like that, you know, I, like, I don't think that's a, I don't think that indicates any sort of huge problem. I think it's a positive thing, you know, that we're, we're, going back to archival stuff, all kinds of different archives too. I think it's good. I think that the, the biggest fundamental, I mean, there are a bunch of different threats to the, the communal wisdom and knowledge that you were just talking about. Um, one is kind of the destruction of communal knowledge as a thing, as people's brains and memories are slowly, you know, offloaded to digital repositories and mm -hmm. our memories just aren't as good in general. And so our storytelling ability relies more on uh, sources that are external to us. Um, but the other thing, which I've already forgotten, making my point. <laughs> Why don't you Google it, Russ? Just Google it. All right. Wikipedia has a great page. Yeah, in there. Wikipedia talks quite a bit memory. In the middle of speech. <laughs> Go! <laughs> it's all right. You'll remember it uh, at, at some point, and when you do, it'll go to the it'll go to the library. Congress. I mean, it is oh, true. I remember. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing is just the, you know, the whole meta debate about the nature of truth, the nature of are there any primary sources, like are there any sources that are that are worth going to that we can verify and you know, what sources do people trust if any that aren't their own personal hand-picked uh spade of sources. Right. Right. Um, I think that is going to be sort of the, the assessment of how we actually gather information in a way that we commonly agree makes sense is going to be interesting. Actually, I, I think that part of that may be related to whether we agree with the process that it is important to have those things, you know, like I would say at a certain point, wouldn't, wouldn't let's say a libertarian philosopher, wouldn't they at some point say that people should have the right to access um, information in whatever way they think most valuable. And if, they, if that is what a libertarian would say, isn't that problematic in terms of all of us agreeing on kind of common, you know, common fields of reference? You know, like, so a libertarian would be like, well, you know, I have the right to believe Alex Jones and Fox News and, you know, these sorts of things and, and the, you know, the Nigel Farage, uh, you know, podcast. 
And everyone else is like, okay, but like, here's, here's more, here's sources that feel that have more objective kind of primary reporting, you know, like, I mean, I feel like that, that is going to be an issue at some point if we go too far down the road of like, for example, you may have seen this today that the department of energy actually released something. I don't know if you saw this that talked about fossil fuels as being, and I quote molecules of freedom. And and so won't you help me <laughs> molecules these molecules of freedom. of freedom. Yeah. I saw it referred to as freedom gas. I mean that also would probably I mean pollution what? songs. And that's that's what we're running into, right? Like I can imagine people being like, Well, I have the right to call it molecules of freedom, you know, and it's like well that but you can be mocked for it if you want. Yeah, yeah I just... Freedom you know, Prize didn't last either. Freedom Prize didn't yeah. work, yeah, it's true. Yeah, I just think that the idea that there's going to be this wise collective that'll, you know, scold to the, the radicals and just be like, tut, tut, we all agree that this is the real way we think about things. That all has gone by the wayside a long time ago. Well, we need to establish the Star Chamber again. Why can't we do that? We're the MEP report. There's three of us. <laughs> we believe that things are funny that we think are funny. So why don't we just establish a Star Chamber that we, you're like, here's the deal. I think a lot of it is just all of this uh, psyops that's going on where, you know, various actors from both sides are not only pumping out their own propaganda, much of which is infused with truth, but maybe comes to false conclusions or has seedlings of facts and then extrapolates them to craziness. But then they also at the same time are uh, acting against each other. So they're putting out stories about why these other sources should be undermined because you know, because there are CIA agents embedded in the New York Times writing staff and like things like that, that like, so we can't trust what we thought were primary sources before. Right. So we need to find new primary sources. <laughs> That's easy to do. Well, no problem. Well, we're one of them is what I'm saying. Like, it's fine. We're a primary source. This is not something like, weird. dead I, silence I, I, of five I, I, seconds is not a good look, guys. Like, no, I'm just saying. I say that and like, like, they're like, um, Kappa, like, like, what? I don't know if we're going to be the vanguard. Although, I will say, I will use this as, as an opportunity to segue. Emus are going mainstream. I don't know if any of y'all have seen it, they've been advertising a lot on MLB TV. Uh, and I think during the NBA playoffs as well. Liberty Mutual has gone with an all-emu ad campaign. Have you all seen this? Oh, yeah. yeah. No, I don't yes. think I saw that. It is the Limu. So Limu, which is this is a stretch. Liberty Mutual, in an effort to oh, yeah. hip with the kids these Thank days, you. has started calling themselves Limu, L-I-M-U, uh, for Liberty Mutual. And they have the Limu Emu, who is a police assistant to it's the Limu emu. Oh, I've seen Doug. the assistant. Yes, I and, have. And yeah. yes, and and the emu does not speak um, because emus are still being silenced. They're too humble for their own good. That's exactly. Nor do they fly because um, they don't. But but uh, yeah, but the emu is clearly the star of this. Of this would be the straight man, uh, kind of detective character of Doug. Yeah, I remember. I, I have seen so the uh, World Detective once. Gentlemen, we've been scooped. We are no longer at the cultural vanguard of emu culture. 
Well, no. you know, we be, what it, what happens is that we've been like, commercialized. Yeah, we've been right. Commercialized. Like they've taken mean. our idea and they're like, well, we, guys, we can make... Because doesn't that sound like a corporate boardroom? They're like, perhaps if we were to shorten our... Just, you know, shorten the first two words and uh, call ourselves Limu. I think that's uh, the kids. My, my daughter told me the other day something like that. And I remember the my term. My daughter told me that her classmates can't pronounce multisyllabic words anymore. So. <laughs> <laughs> so what liberty? Is it. that what comes out of the ground when we mine it? <laughs> amazing, yeah. You can't that's say so. liberty. We have the freedom to have bisyllabic words only. That's, that's what we have the freedom to do. These are these are these are monosyllables of freedom. Yeah. Um, Limu emu kappa 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 kappa. <laughs> <laughs> no no no. I if I have been sincere about one thing tonight, it's it's the limu emu. No, that's I mean. That, yeah. Check it out. Yeah, there's at least two spots that I've seen. There's at least two different spots. One where an emu spits a bunch of quarters, um, like a friggin' slot machine, uh, and then another one where they're like on the sidewalk. That sounds kind of awesome. Yeah, I, I mean, like, need a new sponsorship, right? Yeah. I was gonna say, like, Liberty Mutual. Uh, we, as exactly. as as mem- as fellow members of Limu. Well, that's the thing, right? Is that like we? I, I think they must have picked up on the idea that there was something engaging or interesting about emus. So even I'm not saying that they got the idea from us, but we contributed to the zeitgeist. One of my favorite words, which no kid knows, um, or as the kids like to call it, zygai. Um, we, we contributed to the cultural zyguy <laughs> um, that led us to I'm kind of a zyguy. Yeah. I, I remember when my my newborn was just a zyguy. His- <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's amazing! Have we talked about your new kid on the show yet? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, he's cried on. Yeah. yeah, I think okay. we've talked well, about Well, it's been it's been a month. He's okay. he's, he's he's five or six weeks old. How is he settling in? Well, he's doing good. He's getting acting gigs. He's falling right into the flow of LA. He's, he's doing his job. It's NDA, but yeah, it's fine. Oh, we can shit. Talk about it. I mean, whatever. It's fine. It's fine. He's on bleep. This won't come out until this. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. I, I missed this. I missed this. He's on an NBA ad? Yes. He's uh, playing <laughs> for the LA Clippers in the next. <laughs> okay. No, he. Uh, no, he um, you know, we submitted him to central casting, so he's been getting these background roles, which all ba- <laughs> I learned this. All newborn roles are background roles because they don't get speaking parts because they're new. Why would you learn your lines? Wrong with you. He so, began yeah. his career at the tender age of five weeks when he... <laughs> So last week he's on this TNT show, (laughs) and then uh, today he was on... When are we going to see... Wait, really? So like... Yeah, I think it comes out in the fall, so don't... Nobody listen to this podcast until then. (laughs) Okay, sounds good. Are we talking royalties? This this is so full of chronic what calls of Narnia. Yep. Product uh, what calls them? Uh-huh. No, it's it's Netflix. Netflix doesn't pay royalties. This just all it's. They're like, this is a glorified YouTube video that happens to be a million dollar funded sitcom on Netflix. That it's like Uber having independent contractors. It's just Very much like yes. grandfathered in by whatever the legal. Yeah, the legal grade, acting. But, the but they don't even give you like a flat fee or like a like a. Yeah, you know, I mean, he gets paid. It's not free for our enjoyment. Like he gets paid. Yeah. Okay. Working. 
Man's but did right. he agree to it? I mean, I understand you guys were fine, but did you make sure that he was all right? Because I want to make sure that he doesn't feel exploited. His response was drinking a lot of milk and then sleeping for a long time. I don't know, man. I don't know whether you can just assume he's okay with it then. That might have been him trying to tell you something. It you sounds know? like yeah. a humble brag to me. Yeah, he's like, he's like no big deal. I'm just going to drink this milk and... Uh... Just collecting SAG vouchers while I'm sleeping over here, humble brag. <laughs> As a milk drinker, I uh, just want you to know. Uh, as a, or no, that that would be it. As a SAG actor, as a SAG. Actor. Yeah, exactly. As a well, no, that would be relevant, right? It's more. Yeah, milk drinker is better. Drinker. Oh wait, Russ, are you crossing picket lines? Don't you guys have a big? There's a whole big agent like battle thing going. There's on? a writers thing happened yeah. where a bunch of writers fired their agents because they objected to this packaging phenomenon where they get put together with two or three people and pitches and yeah, like oh, it wasn't just over Game of Thrones. Like all writers in Hollywood struck. Over Game of oh no! The writers in Hollywood just never existed in Game of Thrones. Oh, right. so yeah. Very clearly, haven't been written to two producers who. Can I tell you? I must have told this during the Met report. I went to my fancy supermarket in the neighborhood because we watched the Netflix series uh, Salt. I like to call it Salt Heat Fat Acid, even though it's that's not the right ordering of those words. But I, like I know to, what you're talking about, though. Yeah. yeah. Fat acid, salt heat, whatever. And right. so in the, in the salt episode, they talked about this specific type of like large crystal salt called Malden salt. Okay. So we're like, we're hipsters in LA. We're going to go buy some and experiment yeah. and have this fancy salt. So we bought it and the, the cashier told us a story. He's like, oh, my sister or whatever worked as an assistant for, I don't know which one, whether it was Bainoff or Weiss. Okay. And she was like, they were shooting somewhere in Estonia or something. And... They were getting dinner, and he had a fit because there was no Malden salt available because he needs his Malden salt to properly enjoy his, his fancy dinner brought to him. So he had the assistant go to, like, some specialty store in the middle of Estonia to get him his special Malden salt. And I'm like, this television show is, is going to be hot garbage when it comes to <laughs> you was- think that he was, like, a character on Game of Thrones? I like, think he thinks he's a big he- deal. Because he gets yeah. lots of money and attention and the rights to make a terrible Star Wars movie a few years from now. But, like, it's not good. It's not good. This is what happens. I mean, like, you know, the... I, I And I have to say, I have not watched... Uh, I watched a grand total of about five minutes of one Game of Thrones episode. So I am hardly the uh, hardly the expert on it. But Someone who hates uh, fantasy fiction and speculative fiction. Yeah, you know, it's not my... I definitely is not my, my bag. No. Um, but, like, uh, no, it's mostly just as someone who doesn't have HBO. Um, oh, okay. But, like, so I saw uh, that people were really not happy, basically about most of season seven. Like, apparently most of season seven was just a nightmare. And I was like, you know, again, now I have my own issues with some of George's approach to the way that he writes some of these things. But in general, you go from a guy who's a pretty gifted writer to a couple of Hollywood producers and you're like, good luck. And the story value, you know, story quality drops way off. I'm just saying, you know, it's, it's amazing to me that people aren't like, hey, you know, I think I could probably fly this plane. Yeah, I think I can probably, you know, do this brain surgery. But they're just like, yeah, I think I could probably write this this final season of this important show. I think I could probably do that, even though my credentials are not at the level that they need to be. You know, and this just is proof of it. Hire writers to do writing things, please. You know, that's all. When my favorite science fiction author died, Robert Heinlein, or years later, they found uh, a half-finished novel of his, and then they hired a professional, well-known science fiction writer, Spider Robinson, to write the second half of the book. And this is a guy 
who was picked out specifically for his like stylistic similarity and his genius as a sci-fi writer. And the book sucked. So it's hard. <laughs> it's hard to- well, it's not. Yeah, I mean, it's true. It's not easy to do. Uh, but listen, it's possible. You know, Brandon Sanderson finished the uh, Wheel of Time with Robert Jordan with uh, two books. Oh, in. yeah. No, the moral that I'm trying to make is not don't do it. But like to, to think even for a second that it's easy, right? Somehow wrap up this yeah. like, incredibly complex thing. Like no chance. Let's just wrap it up. Yeah, yeah you can't do that. Um, yeah, you can't do that. So keep the writers on board. That's the lesson. Um, story, can you give us some of the highlights of you and Alex, like live Facebook commenting? Oh yeah, on yeah, that? yeah. So I was gonna, I was gonna, that. That. yeah, because because Greg was saying like I've seen all of five minutes, and so Alex and I watched um, about four years ago. We watched twenty minutes of uh, epi- season one, episode one, and about the second sexual assault, we were like, yeah, this is a little over, <laughs> maybe not. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think there were two in the first half. Of the yeah, episode. But, and. But- that's my favorite, really. That's my favorite part of the first episode, which was like they're announcing that they're an HBO show. It's like, hey, right. this guy just had incest. Hey, this guy just pushed a kid out of a window. Hey, death, death, death. HBO <laughs> fantasy, baby. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Like someone with a guitar just like came on and growled halfway through. It was like, ah, how do I? Do? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so then we decided to watch the finale because, of course. Um, yeah, so so having not, I had read like a couple of somewhat spoilery articles on the penultimate episode, The Bells, because it was like setting the internet on fire and everybody was so upset. And so, but like it felt, honestly, the night that it was happening, it was kind of a lark, like five minutes before it came on and we, you know, have access to HBO and we were just like, it felt like missing the Super Bowl, but like the one Super Bowl ever to be played. Like it was such a massive cultural thing and everybody was holding up and we're like yeah we can watch this so then alex <laughs> topped it off by live facebooking the entire episode uh in real time and it is it's absolutely priceless um, she got some things right too she's like Did oh yeah Johnson she like totally predicted the like big thing yeah. i was like day. yep and, like the big seminal spoiler alert the big seminal death when john snow kills uh danny and like five minutes before, she's like, wait, he's going to kill her. Oh, he killed her. Now, it was pretty predictable because the writers suck, but still. <laughs> Jon Snow knew nothing, Jon yeah. Snow. Yeah. Um, it was pretty awesome. Um, but people, people, I think people in aggregate, I think the world as a whole, are, between our few hundred Facebook friends, got more aggregate enjoyment and utility out of Alex's live Facebook of the episode than the, than the actual thing itself. Oh. Well, the way it, the way it sounded from the way people were describing it from the outside is that the whole thing just felt like basically the music cue da 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 like it didn't like they didn't they just were like we don't extend this long enough to be able to do like and that's all folks like come on like what why I don't understand why there was the need like and now it comes to an end now like stop now instead yeah. of like. That's, that's part of the problem was that, so you had this like massively, exp- I mean, okay, for part of the problem was that George R. R. Martin in the writing of these books exploded the characters exponentially from right. like book three to book four. Right. And then you start going on journeys following characters you've never heard of before in season five of the show and people already hated season five. It's like, who are the Sand Snakes? Why do I care? What does this have to do with any of the principles of which there are already 30 principal characters that we've been following from the beginning? Right. Um, so there was already kind of this, this mouth character vomit explosion of new characters. So then these poor, poor men who were very rich and very well taken care of, who I do not feel sorry for, but they're tasked with like, 
how to end this. And they decided that they are going to like finish it at one like tip of a sword kind of point rather than going, you know, this is a huge expansive world. Some of these characters will die. Some will live. Life will go on. This is just kind of a snapshot of a timeline of this particular time and place in this fantasy world, as opposed right. to being like, everything must grind to a screeching halt. Three people die for no reason because we can. And, and that was, I mean, that was part of the problem. There were, as has been laid out by a hundred million critics on the internet. Yep. And several like philosophers and a few foreign policy experts and like a remarkable swath of genres of human being have like weighed in on this particular culture. Yeah. I, I just my, my favorite part was my favorite worst part was the, the battle. I mean, well there's like, you know, the Starbucks cup and all that stuff. That was just kind of the the canary in the coal mine where you're like Hmm, I, I disagree with the narrative choices this series is making. Oh God, they left a Starbucks cup in the scene <laughs> castle. Okay, this is an actual sign that everything's falling apart. Yeah. Um, but was in the uh, the Battle of Winterfell episode, which was um, masterfully critiqued on YouTube. I will try to find the link to the guy who does this. But he basically is critiquing the battle tactics of these are like some of the finest military minds in Westeros trying to combat a zombie, ostensibly a zombie invasion. And they have like a thousand year old castle to defend them. So what do they do? They take all of their cavalry and they just kind of send them out into the night by themselves as a first wave to get like eaten by the zombies <laughs> instead of like using cavalry to flank an already engaged force like you do if you're doing medieval warfare. Mm -hmm. They set up the trebuchets outside the castle on the front line. So <laughs> Right? Have they never played Dark Age of Camelot? Exactly. Who are these people? So they each get off one shot of this line of trebuchets and then are immediately overwhelmed by zombies and then they're useless for the rest of the fight. And that was like one of the best weapons they had. This makes they, the Maginot line look like strategic <laughs> <laughs> What the hell? They fail to use like pitch boiling oil, throwing rocks, any of the things that you do from the ramparts of a castle when, I mean, okay. They're awfully violent. And as far as I know, the <laughs> principles of this society were not. Like, like granted, right they were trying to soup up the zombies to make them like World War Z level zombies who can run really fast, so to at least make them seem threatening in a castle siege, but it doesn't matter. It's a castle siege. The zombies don't have any siege weapons, man. They can't They can't knock down walls. They can just like scrape at walls with their fingernails while you drop dead. large rocks dead, on scrape, them. Scrape. We are just, the dead. Scrape, scrape, scrape. Stop sending people out beyond the walls. Use your castle. I, I am Use doing it. everything I can to resist, but I'm, I'm failing now. Um, the urge to point out that in a similar siege discussion um, taking place in Professor Dr. J.R.R. Tolkien's uh, great uh, seminal work, The Two Towers, during the Siege of Helm's Deep, the description of uh, the siege involves all of the things that you've just mentioned, the use of this fortress that has never fallen to the enemy, and the only way that the wall, sorry about the spoilers here, has ever been breached, is breached during this battle, is because of foul magics of Saruman that basically are explosives that allow them to mine under the walls. So basically they send a bunch of sappers, basically orc sappers, to undermine the walls and go, go beneath the walls, and that's when all these problems occur. Um, right. And because also, they, they know that they can't just send a bunch of people. 
because the they orcs are sentient beings. They're not just fifty-four, you bastard. Right? See, yeah, no, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I'm out How dare you? Um, you know, and that ends. I just want to point out that maybe somebody understood military tactics because maybe someone actually served in World War One. I'm just saying, maybe oh, someone. Yeah. Well, and then you can point to other Game of Thrones battles that were like expertly done and actually made sense. But it's sure. Just, I'm not even blaming that on George. I'm blaming that on the TV. <laughs> like, no, it, it really just seems like they they had a, these two producers were like really desperately hoping that George R. R. Martin would start writing really fast, and they gave him like five years. They're like, he'll finish the book. I hope. I swear to God, he'll finish. Which is a laugh. He'll finish it, and then he did nothing. He didn't even write it, and then they're like, oh God, we really have to do this ourselves. Oh God, oh God, and then they just they just shit the bed in every conceivable way. Well, what a lot of people have said, conspiracy theory wise, is now George because now he's not going to get the sweet sweet gravy train of the HBO money coming in anymore. So now he actually does the final twist, which is to write the actual ending in a good way for the last two books. And everyone's like, oh my God, the greatest writer of all time saved us from the terrible blah blah blah. Like I don't think this is actually true. I think it's more that George really, really likes national football, the NFL, and likes going to conferences. Um, but I know that's the, the reality of the case. So um, I think that's much more what it is rather than he had some long play to be seen as even more awesome when he finally does finish the books. Yeah. But I think um, part of the impetus is to correct them ruining the... But that's <laughs> what I'm saying. Like, it was set up. Like, he, like supposedly he's yeah. going to be like, oh, I can't allow this to stand. I, but, you know, secretly he was like, all right, guys, wink, wink nudge nudge kappa you know that's actually that's what they should have done the end of season uh, seven like oh, you're in the distance yeah. a kappa face just comes uh, like spiraling higher and higher and zooms in and then we you know yeah. that'd be great i would almost have i would almost have such respect for them to do that even though the internet would be a wasteland of fire like the minute that happened there would just be no hbo would spontaneously combust you know like the the headquarters um, I think people would be relieved because then there would be an opportunity for like a canon fix to it. Yeah, that this was all an alternate joke. Well, like right. the Captain America Scott line where Captain America somehow was working for Hydra. And they were like, no, 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 this is all an alternate thing. And everyone hated it. But at least when they found out it was alternate, they were like, we still hate it. It should never have been done. But now we can just pretend that that never happened because right. it didn't really, exactly. you know, though exactly. so, alternate history. Maybe, yeah. maybe. But either way, uh, I think uh, looking at the clock, an hour has passed, and that means that our friend Russ needs to go do improv stuff. Yeah. Um, humble brag, you know, he's, he's got to go. Got to go make some live theater kappas happen. Yeah, that's what, <laughs> that's what you have to do. Um, but uh, thank you all, as always, for listening. Please check us out at metreport.com. Let us know what you think, and uh, we hope to be back to you with another episode very soon. But until then, say goodbye, everybody. Go watch the emu, Liberty Mutual. This was not a paid advertisement. Or was it? As a homeowner, I appreciate that. Well, the last time I saw old man he knew him better da da da. He was chasing a female he knew him better da da da. As he shot past, I heard him say, "She can't fly, but I'm telling you, she can run the pits of a kangaroo." But I don't She can't fly, but I'm telling you, she can run the pits of a kangaroo. Well, there is a moral to this ditty, um, better da 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 da. Crush can sing, but he ain't pretty, um, better da 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 da. Duck can swim, but he can't sing, nor can the eagle on the wing. Emu can't fly, but I'm telling you, he can run the pants on a kangaroo. 
Well, the hookah bar laughed and he said, it's true. Better did you die, die, die. 